Welcome to the Inclusion Think Tank podcast presented by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE. As the name suggests, this podcast will discuss inclusive education and most importantly, why it works. On this episode, I welcome my guest, Jillian Rich. Jillian is an inclusion facilitator and an adjunct professor at Montclair State University in the School of Secondary and Special Education. We discuss the benefits, the challenges, and the effectiveness of inclusion. So I would like to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast. This podcast is presented by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. I'm your host, Arthur Aston, and today I am speaking with Jillian who is an inclusion facilitator with NJCIE. So Jillian, thank you for joining us on the show today. We're happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So could you tell us a little bit about who you are? And um, I ask our guests to share one fun thing that you like to do in your free time. Okay, sure. So my name is Jillian Rich. I am an inclusion facilitator as well as an adjunct professor at Montclair State University in the School of Secondary and Special Education. Um, I historically am a school teacher um, starting in New York City as a school teacher for about a decade and then an instructional leader. Something I do in my spare time for fun. Uh, well, I like running, walking, biking, swimming, all those kinds of things. So I'm pretty... Um, I like to do kind of active things for fun. Taking up pickleball this summer. I'm going to take my first surf lesson in a week. So I like to keep moving. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I have, um, I've shared with other guests that I was born with a disability and there is um, an accessible and inclusive uh, surf. Um, I, I believe they're a nonprofit and they uh, travel the country on the, uh, shorelines and uh, they host different events for people with disabilities to learn how to surf and things like that. So I'm, I'm planning on doing that next year. <laughs> yes, good. That's a great goal. Good yes, yes. Uh, so to uh, start off the conversation, can you um, tell us how you became interested in inclusive education? Certainly. Um, I began my career as an educator uh, as as a second or third career kind of for myself in my 20s. And um, I did so through the New York City Teaching Fellows. So this is a program where the city finds applicants who would like to have their graduate school and teacher training paid for, but in turn will provide instruction to students in high need areas. So of course the high need areas involved mostly mathematics, science and special education where they really needed teachers. This program still exists, I believe, but in my case, I was um, assigned to a special education school where actually it was a separate location school and all the students in the building were special needs students. I had a, I had a great experience there because I had wonderful leadership. I learned a lot, but I did see that there was this need for inclusion because these students in the segregated environment we're showing kind of what the research tells us about maybe perpetuating certain behaviors or not having models that might be available in an inclusive environment. So, you know, after a, a long stretch there and learning and reading, 
I really came to understand how important inclusive education could be for so many students. And with my work with Montclair State University, um, I've been able to really gain new information and insights from not only research and so on, but being in schools and being part of, of inclusive classrooms I've seen such success in. Yeah, I think that has been, um, that has been a very common thing among other guests where they say they've had the experience of being in the classroom to uh, see inclusive education settings and to see them at work. And that has really, um, you know, opened their eyes to the possibilities of how it can work and, and what it's capable of uh, doing and, and all of the positive things that come out of it. So that's uh, really great how it is a, a common theme among the, uh, the guests that I've, I've had uh, recently on the, on the podcast. Uh, can you um, can you define inclusive education and um, tell us what it means to you? Yeah, I think about it in two ways. I think inclusive education can be defined through the lens of maybe the learner or the student. And in this way, I would say inclusive education is really about meeting the needs of all learners in an environment with high expectations, yet flexible curricula. But I think there's a deeper meaning. So I've been reflecting a lot and reading a lot about why we really have school. And, you know, it's these kinds of questions you go through life and you don't always stop and really think. But I had to really challenge my own thoughts about why do we have schools and what is the purpose or what are we expecting them to provide families and students? And I, I think, so this is kind of the second layer of my definition. There's that first instructional student layer, but then I think there's a wider community definition for inclusion, which really has to do with this notion of creating citizens who are going to be part of this diverse community. And it's sort of, to me, an inclusive classroom is sort of like a training ground for that citizenship. So yes, there is the day-to-day -day instructional inclusive definition, which would, which would be meeting the needs of all the learners in this kind of flexible but high expectation way. Then there's also the definition of inclusion, which really is about perpetuating citizenship among um, a diverse community or a diverse society. So I think it's sort of, you know, there's a smaller and a bigger way to look at it. But for me, both those, those are part of the definition. Yes, that is, um, I'm glad you brought in both of those uh, definitions because it is, it's very true. If um, the way that you know, we expect people to operate in the world at large when you said, like, you know, it's a very diverse community. Um, you know, that's that's a great first place to learn is in school of how to uh, see people who are different than you are and how to uh, learn about those differences and educate yourself about those differences and uh, learn and I, to accept them. I think them. that's true. Yeah, and I think it's it's a lot of that, like, really being able to say, I I not I don't I appreciate and I value all these different people around me, but it's also like a really good muscle memory in a way because what happens as we grow and we yes okay college and career that's part of what schools are doing right they're preparing us for college and career, but we hear from employers all the time that we need to be collaborative we need to problem solve we need to work with all sorts of people so it's not only this social emotional piece of like, that's really great that I value everybody. It's also, I'm better at, or I'm creating students who are better at collaboration and better at figuring out how to, how to work together 
in a way maybe they're not used to. So I think that, yeah, what you're saying is right on for sure. Yes, those are the, um, again, like, like you said, those are the skills that they want us to bring into the workforce as we get older. Uh, and, and there's, you know, it's a great way to start them, uh, to start the students early in school so that they are prepared with working with uh, diverse, other, uh, other diverse individuals. Can you uh, share with us uh, some of the pieces of an inclusive classroom and what that uh, an inclusive classroom would look like to you? Sure. Uh, I think that, again, there's probably a couple angles to look at this. So if you were to walk into an inclusive classroom, what would that like overtly look like? I think you'd probably see really or in a well-executed inclusive classroom, you'd see purpose-driven instruction, right? So clear purpose, as well as varied learning activities, attention to different modes of learning, um, the principles of universal design for learning in place, as well as differentiation. You would see these things when you walk it. So you'd notice students moving from one thing to another. You'd notice talking, listening, creating all these different modes of expression and whatnot. I think if you were to also be lucky enough to see that classroom maybe behind the scenes or over a trajectory of time, you would also notice a few really important things about an inclusive classroom, which I guess number one would be dedication to assessment. So I think you would see teachers who are really committed to ensuring that their practices are working and constantly, whether it's informally or formally, assessing and evaluating and, and um, uh, refining what they're doing every day. So I think that's a part you might not see right when you walk in a room, but should be happening behind the scenes. I also think you should, if you're able again to see this classroom over time, see a lot of flexible grouping. So you're noticing Tuesday, these guys are working together, Friday, these guys are working together and it's always evolving and changing. So sometimes at first glance, you might not notice these things, but if you're able to really um, see a classroom perform over time, you'll start noticing the commitment to things like assessment, flexible grouping, uh, pivoting and shifting and refining what we're doing based on what we're getting back from students. Um, I think you'd also see some individualized notions such as feedback that's kind of personal, um, maybe some uh, ways that we vary the activities that look different from student to student that really respond to their needs. So there's some of that indiv individualization too, but in a very natural kind of organic way so that, um, you know, again, from day to day, it may look different, but it's there. Can you uh, share with us some of the challenges that are associated with inclusive education? Yeah, for sure. I think that that's so wise because sometimes we ignore what we know when we know there's going to be challenges and what good is that, right? We have to try to solve those problems. So there's there there are varied challenges. I think one, you know, one thing is really just training our professionals to to excel at this and to um, continue to grow as inclusive educators. So I think there is a challenge with, for some some schools or some staff, maybe just a knowledge base. Not every teacher was trained in how to do these things and may need that support. I think there's um, perhaps, uh, you know, this, when you ask a teacher, I've worked with teachers many, many years as a coach, as, as, um, as a facilitator and so on. Time is always an issue, right? Teachers have an enormous amount of work 
They are so important and they are so inundated because they care so much and they want to do well. So they feel like they don't have enough time and time is always precious for them. So I think there is, um, as part of a cultural response in a school, an issue with enough time to plan, to prepare, to reflect on assessments and so on. I also believe that there is, with in regards to time, a challenge in, like I said, this cultural shift, working smarter, not harder. So I think we tend to, as educators, want so badly to, to affect change, and we're, we're working so hard to do that. But perhaps there's a new way to look at something we're doing and maybe allow us to work in a way that's more effective without being overworked or not having enough time. So there are probably some things we can do to help our, our teachers do that better. Um, in that same vein, there's a couple other cultural things that I think are challenges. I think there's a rigidity to the way we do things as humans, right? So we tend to, to do things. I think there is some, some research, some psychology behind this. Like when we are asked to change or to, to amend something we're doing, we resist that because maybe we're afraid we're gonna lose something of value, we're not sure it's going to work, whatever the case might be. So I think there's like a little bit of work to be done there in terms of the culture in a school to kind of um, really embrace that sort of change or new, new learning. As well, if we're talking about inclusive education, another thing that might happen in schools, which we do see as, as facilitators a lot, is that the idea of inclusion often relies on staff working together and faculty coming together and teachers either being co-teaching or, or teachers or collaborating. And sometimes developing those partnerships is not honored enough. So I think about baseball and when you have um, spring training, who are the first people that go to spring training? Pitchers and catchers, right? So I don't know if we really know why, but I think that they do that because maybe somebody knows. I don't know. I like baseball. I don't know. We're talking about baseball, but perhaps they do that because these these two people or these groups of people have to be um, collaborative and have to have a strong basis and relationship in order to work together. So they physically start before the rest of the team starts because it's so important that they're a partnership. So I think that's another challenge. We don't always honor that enough in our in our um, inclusive environments, and that's a challenge I think we could overcome, trying to really treat those relationships with the care they need. I love the baseball analogy. That was good. That was really great. <laughs> it is, it's it's something like you like you said. It's like why do they do that? Like we all know it. It happens. Yeah, there probably is a reason. <laughs> but then, but then it is. I think it is exactly what you said because they do have to. You know, the pitcher and the pitcher have to really get each other and understand each other and what the signals are and all of that. Uh, you know, to make a successful. Uh, team uh you know to, to start as the basis of, of that team to make sure the other team doesn't get hits and stuff so, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that's a really that was a really good really that's good true analogy. when you say the signals that analogy can kind of go on right like mm -hmm. they know their they know the signals they kind of know each other that's it's very much like that same kind of partnership of perhaps what might be a co-teaching or a collaborative partnership. yeah absolutely yeah so it was, it was a great analogy <laughs> uh, so on the flip side of that can you uh share with us uh, some of the benefits uh, that you have seen with inclusive education. Yeah, I think this relates, you know, to answer this kind of relates back to the earlier definition that I that I think about. And that, again, this kind of global or universal benefit is that we are creating citizens of a community 
with all different people. And that, of course, is the, the far-reaching, really important benefit. But we know from research that there's also just academic benefits. Widely, students with IEPs perform better in inclusive classrooms than not. And we know that there are some examples of that as well with students who do not have IEPs still showing academic gains within an inclusive classroom. So I think that there's a little more room for research in that area, and it'd be great to keep learning more about how students who are in an inclusive environment um, as a general education student are, are growing. I think that's really, uh, I would love to keep reading more about that and learning more about that. I think we have a way to go to learn more about that. And in particular, because sometimes those people shift, right? So while the student with an IEP may remain in an inclusive classroom over years, that's not always true for the student without. So perhaps, you know, learning more, I think there's a, like, we have room to learn about that, but from what we see so far, we know that those students perform well academically in an inclusive classroom. So again, on the day-to-day -day and the immediate output, there are benefits academically. And then why do we have this benefit of creating the kind of world we want to live in? Yeah. That, um, it's, it's, I always love those two questions of the challenges and the benefits uh, to see you know, what everybody's answers are. And I, I just love them because um, there there are challenges, like I said, with just about everything we do. And, uh, you know, but there are ways to get around them and uh, the benefits, the positives always uh, outweigh the negatives and the challenges. So it's, um, that's really great to hear. Uh, those two. Yeah, they're so big, right? The benefits are so like large yes. and the challenges are like little things we're going to check and fix and check and fix, but the benefits of these big heavy duty things. And I think even selfishly as a, as a, as an educator, I think there's a lot of benefit to the teacher, him or herself, because when you're in an environment where you are really tasked with, with teaching to a wide group of learners, you become such a better teacher. So I think there's a lot of benefit to the educator themselves because they're going to just grow and and progress as an educator whereas if they were in a very homogeneous environment there's not that that kind of growth always so i think we also really get benefit beyond uh you know beyond the students and their learning i think we we, get, we grow a lot too yeah and i i like what you said originally with when i asked about the challenges that you know we, we know that the challenges are there but we have to acknowledge them we have to you know, say what they are and, uh, you know, that's how we are able to fix them and, and get through them and work through them uh, by identifying what, what they are. <laughs> so that's a really important key, uh, key piece there. So uh, to conclude this conversation, I have just one more question and that is, what is one thing that you feel can be done in every school to improve inclusive education? You know, there's so many, like, moves I think we can make to to make small movements in inclusive education and I do talk about those a lot when I work with schools and there's a place for that but if I when I reflect on maybe somewhere where there's I can generalize where there's a lot of room for improvement I might actually zero in on teacher evaluations as a place where we could really help grow inclusive practice so I think you know, okay, if, if we know that organizations that operate as collaborative problem-solving places do better. We know that schools that do that do better. So for instance, schools that say, we have a, an issue with uh, reading in our school, our reading scores are really low, and they work with every uh, educator to make them teachers of reading, 
they do better. So the drama teacher, the music, everybody's a teacher of reading and they really grow that practice because they're solving that problem of we have to help our reading scores. Same idea here. If we have a school that says we're a collaborative problem solving school, our problem right now is that our education is not inclusive enough or our practice needs to grow, then th that should be the focus. And through teacher evaluations, grow that practice. So when you look at a lot of teacher evaluations, there's some language about differentiation maybe, maybe about uh, are all learners kind of like, um, are, are you mixing learning activities and varying things in that way? But I don't know that there's that many examples of schools that do a really good job using the teacher evaluation as a place to really discuss uh, inclusive education. So I'm not talking about a teacher evaluation that's punitive or meant to even reward, but more as an end goal or a purpose. Just like when we do with our students, we set an objective, it should be clear, they should know it, they should say it, they should restay it. Same with the teachers. What is my objective as a teacher in this school? Here are some things on the evaluation and these are our talking points. We're going to focus a lot on inclusive practice. I also think that teacher evaluations could be um, written in a way or modified based on maybe where that teacher is. So if I'm a brand new teacher and I've had no training in inclusive practice, maybe my evaluation that I'm kind of marked on looks a little different and it's kind of the beginning that, uh, you know, nascent stage of, of inclusive practice. But if I'm a teacher who's taught inclusive uh, for years, I, I have special education background, whatever the case is, maybe I'm on the higher side of that spectrum. My evaluation demands a little more of me. So everybody keeps moving. So I think that's just like a place in my mind. I think, I think schools could do better. There could be a better feeling around evaluations that they're really about conversation and growth and they can focus more on inclusive practices than maybe many of them do at the moment. So that would be my one, one thing, but I have more. <laughs> Thank you for your time today and uh, for your knowledge and the um, pieces of education that you've uh, provided for this conversation and uh, and a part of us doing our part in raising awareness about inclusive education. I really enjoyed our conversation today and I thank you for your time. Thank you so much. It was so nice talking with you. Yes, it was nice talking with you as well. Thank you and, for listening uh, to this episode day. of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast. This podcast is brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or Spotify and to follow us on social media at NJCIE. Until next time.